Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast and today I've got a very special guest, um, a little bit different to what I've uh, done before but and really one of the first times I've really kind of tackled this subject matter. Um, his name is Sharanjeet Singh and he's from Turkey. Welcome to the Bandwagon Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on and the subject area that we're kind of looking at today is um, is around mental health. Um it, it is one of those kind of topical, I would I kind of, I, I do and I don't want to say, but kind of a buzzword that's kind of exploded in the last few years, especially. Um, in, in terms of looking at what Drucki does and yourself, can you just give us a little bit of a background of how you got, you got into this field yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. And so... As you mentioned, I'm the founder and director of an organization called Turkey, and we work with Punjabi communities to reshape approaches to mental health. You know, I started Turkey almost about three and a half years ago, almost, uh, actually, it's going to be five years in like yeah. six months. It goes. Um, it goes. Honestly, it goes. Co- COVID, uh, years, the COVID years don't count in it because they're all kind of merging into, into one. That's it. Exactly. So we started in October 2017, um, and... We started Turkey uh, really through my experiences of mental health challenges, especially when I was transitioning from home, which for me is Hansworth in Birmingham, to uni, which is you know which led to me leaving Birmingham, going and studying elsewhere. But that experience, that transition, was really difficult for someone kind of born and raised in you know a place with so many communities, so many cultures, and being just put in a space where the diversity, the representation was incredibly low, um, was was really, really hard and really challenging. And the difficulties, the mental health challenges, the struggles I experienced at uni, I was really, really lucky to access support through my housemates. You know, the people I live with, we were able to really just allow each other to be ourselves and talk about the difficulties we're experiencing, you know, share the different things that have helped us. Um, we were able to just really create that space where we could make sure that you know each other felt supported. Um, what, 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 what? In, 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 I mean, it's up to yourself in terms of how deep it is. But what do you feel like the common themes were? Because you know, I had a similar one where I was coming. I was from Hansworth, living in uh, you know, family, multi generational family. Then going to university and learning those skills of. Oh, you know the toilet roll out there where it needs to be at times or making food having that kind of learning can be really difficult and especially if you're in um, a wrong environment where you've got loads of lads who don't clean up or anything like that you know it can bring a lot of pressure but was there any common themes with you and your housemates that were coming out that were um, causing those difficulties 
you know, there's this one, there's one pretty common theme. And it was that a lot of the kids, a lot of the other students at uni were from the same area or a lot of them knew each other before, right? And I'm not gonna lie, there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a London, Birmingham, and then the North kind of divide mm. where, you know, the London folks usually stuck together a lot of the time. Um, a few of them, you know, a lot of them knew each other from, you know, different schools, different, that kind of thing. Um, and we were kind of too, we were too North for the Londoners, and then we were too South for the Northerners. It was a very, very well, specific thing. Well, Birmingham is Midland, so, you know, the clues in exactly. the name in it really for them. Exactly, exactly. And oh, what I, were they studying, just in case we, we bump into them in their profession? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's everything, anything and everything. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that was one of the big dynamics that, that, that presented itself for me. Then also with myself, there was definitely, there was definitely a racial dynamic uh, where, you know, walking, walking up and down, um home you know in Birmingham I can I can be myself I can look look like myself and I'm surrounded by other folks who can look and be themselves um in in different ways but that was a lot more difficult at uni um you know suddenly the amount of very kind of ignorant questions I got was increasing you know people would make really kind of really insensitive comments um and you know there were other folks who would be, you know, down, downright quite racist, to be honest. Mm. Um, and for me, that wasn't just difficult because I was, you know, I was navigating with, with racism and discrimination and been doing that my whole life, as many of us have. But it was also that I was in this transition period. It was also that actually I haven't got friends here like I did back in Birmingham. It was also that actually I need to look out. There's a whole load of other things I've got to think about now. You know, I've got to figure out who's going to make my, you know, obviously I'm going to make it, but how, how I'm going to make my food, how am I going to look after myself, do my washing, all that kind of thing. And on top of all of that, how am I going to navigate this type of, you know, this type of discrimination there, there as well? So if you've, got, you've almost got that kind of Maslow's hierarchy of need with all these kind of areas of where you're trying to fit in. Um, but you know, what you've kind of described there is basic survival training <laughs> you know trying to know where you're going to get your next food shelter be protected um i i would sort of agree in terms of that is i i looking back and be reflective of university you would see quite a lot of guys at that point um you know kind of struggling to fit in but being in the social circle kind of being all right at, at, in that bit but there are there are some lonely times of, especially during university and and some cope with it um, a lot better than others in terms of kind of mental resilience in that way so what was the um the impact then of what that was hap ha um, having on you because i'm i'm guessing there was a bit of an accumulative effect for it to um to, for obviously the way where you are now but having that negative kind of journey for you Absolutely. And so for me, you know, over the three years there, it, it did get worse. And it led to me isolating myself more and more from my family, from my friends. You know, the, one, of the, one of the important points for me, and now I look back and I regret so much stuff, right? But I look back and I think, damn, I shouldn't have done this. And, and what it was, halfway, you know, just at the beginning of my first year, I... Was I was recognizing that actually I looked and felt very different compared to the people around me. And so I actually stopped wearing my Star. So I took off my Sikh turban 
Um, and I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to stop wearing this so I can fit in here. And that was, that was really difficult because, you know, born and raised in, um, of, you know, in a family that is very close to Sikhi, very close to their faith. That was something that almost added another thing to the mix where now I'm at uni and I'm, you know, walking around like I am. And then I'm going home and I'm someone else. And that, that, that added, it added another thing to the plate that was already completely full and I was unable to manage. And did you, did you, what university was this? I'm sorry if I've, I've, I've missed it. It was just pretty early for me. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. So I've never actually mentioned what uni it was. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was south of Birmingham. Like it was, it was like, uh, in a, you're driving probably an hour and a half. Okay. Um, it was an hour and a half south of it. So it, it, even then, though, you still, it, it still should have a little bit of impact of seeing a little bit of kind of like um, a bit of up with like up with our community there. Or was it just distinctly that there was just nobody there, but you were living in your own, in, in your in your home and that was having having the, an impact on you? Because I'm sure that you must have seen like the diaspora ship could have been there. If it's only an hour away, but yeah, we got relatives in Newcastle and Sunderland. Yeah, man, it's it's it was it was wild because so at that at that uni there was only an Asian society, um, right? And 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 that was really interesting and 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 also like where because of what I was studying and where my accommodation was, that was basically there were like a, a few different big accommodation sites in the city, and a lot of the a lot of the open air lived in the another accommodation site, and so. I was I was kind of in this other accommodation site and it was just it was just it was just weird man it was just honestly really really mm. strange and I remember I remember even when we like in our final year we working to set up you know a Sikh society there weren't enough people who wanted to sign up for a Sikh society so we started a Punjabi society and you know that was the only different thing from the Asian society you know the Asian society had become something where it was just people you know gigs. Out, out, out getting out getting lashed constantly um, but for folks who didn't maybe didn't want that, there wasn't really very many other options. Um, and so, you know, we created that space for those folks um, as well. Because as he said, right, you know, there are going to be people experiencing different kinds of pressures. For some, they might conform to that space. For others, they might find that resiliency. But for for many folks, you know, it's just a it's a whirlwind. It's an it can be an absolute mess. So you know the, the the next stages of 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 your kind of journey were that did, how how bad did it get for you so for me it led to i honestly can't emphasize enough how much you know me stop wearing mother stars to so stop wearing my Sikh turban had an impact because you know Sikhi is an incredibly incredibly central part of life for my family and for me and suddenly, you know, you didn't have that. And suddenly that there was this split in identity. And it led to me, you know, really speaking to my family less and less, speaking to my friends less and less, as I mentioned, you know, going through challenges around, you know, body image, that kind of thing. That was that was really, really prevalent back then as well. Um, and it basically led to me isolating myself, you know, just getting on, getting on. I really enjoyed my work. That was the main redeeming quality, the main redeeming factor um, and kind of, being on my own and just wallowing in how annoyed I was at a lot of things and how 
isolated I felt but I wasn't really able to articulate that isolation in that same way it kind of came through a frustration anger and just a just a lack of a lack of connection with the things around me to be honest um one of the things that you know that kind of reminded me of the, the difficult times was you know someone would be having a house party or something and you know I, I'd walk up on my ones because didn't really have anyone else to go with and I get to the door and I'd be like oh my god okay no I can't do this and then I turn around and walk back you know that happened that happened a few times or I'd go in be there for like five minutes and I'd just be overthinking constantly I'm just like mm. oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god I need to go and then I just get up and leave was, was that from the point of you feeling like you, you wouldn't fit into it or was that because you just beat fit, the isolation was just taking over it was this it was this strange it was this strange thing right where I felt like I was overthinking and I felt incredibly incredibly sensitive to my to my identity um and I was like am I gonna fit in here I don't think I'm fitting in people are looking at me people are judging me I was like oh my god what's happening but then also like I knew that I needed, I wanted kind of social connection because of the isolation. So you're in this weird position where you're like, actually, I want to go out and mingle with people, but then you're like, oh my God, I can't do it. And so it just kind of reinforces each other. Um, and I remember for me, the time that made me realize that there was something I was going through um, that was stopping me from living my life how I wanted to live it um, was when we had our first event for our university Punjabi Society. And so, you know, myself, the other coordinators, we pulled together and we put an event at one of the accommodations in their like common room. And it was just all it was, was samosa and char. It was just an introductory event. You know, people could come through, have a chat, get to know others, you know, no alcohol, no, no kind of like, you know, no one's going out afterwards. Oh, probably there probably were people going out afterwards, but it was, that wasn't the main motive. Um, and so people came together. And I remember, I remember being in that room. Uh, more and more people coming in. I was sorting out the samosan jar, so you know I was warming everything up, getting the getting everything ready, pouring people's tea, handing them handing it to them, making sure everyone was you know had their food, everyone felt good. And I remember just standing there, and because I was like doing the samosa, I didn't really have to speak to very many people, and <laughs> I, and I just I just remember thinking, I want to go and speak to people, but I can't, and I was okay. really confused. That I was really confused, and I was like. I want to go and speak to people, but there's something stopping me from doing that. And I know that I will, I should have something more in common with these folks, but there's still something that's stopping me from doing that. And I remember just going outside, going outside the, the hall and just standing there, checking football scores on my phone for like 10 minutes, just thinking, why can't I speak to people? Why can't I speak to people? Why can't I do this? And, you know, it was, it was that point I went back in. And there was some random, some guy I never met, never met him again after this as well. But he was on the, he was on some table tennis table, and he was like, "Oh, do you want a game of table tennis?" And I was playing, I was playing table tennis with him, and I was able to have a conversation with him whilst I was doing the table tennis. Right. And I was like, I was like, "Whoa, okay, this is the first like longer than five minutes conversation I've had with someone in a long time." Um, but why don't I feel as like nervous or like anxious about it? Um, so that was a point when I realized, you know what, there's something that's stopping me from living my life how I want to live it. There's something that's stopping me from having this connection with others. I really need to try and figure out what that is. I mean, I'm, I'm almost thinking it as a, as, a, as a parent, you know, like now thinking about, you know, education is a very safe environment. You're hoping um, 
like school setting and then you then you're taking it up to kind of university that you think that you know you 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 believe your children would be able to kind of have uh, that kind of they've built those social skills in order to do that not to say that there's a lack of did, what was your family environment turning around because like within Sikhi Sangat is a big thing so there's two elements to this kind of the next question was one did you were you able to find any sort of comfort in your Sangat and ask for help and support or was there a talking point and the second one was to say that surely this must have had a bit of a, a impact on your behavior at home and what was your parents and or your siblings thinking thinking uh, what was going on you know what honestly so the first question around sangat you know when when we have a chat about how i got support through my housemates they were my sangat you know they're not sikhs but they were my sangat um and for me you can have i know this is just my opinion but you can have sangat with folks who are sikhs yeah. um and so you know i i i wasn't really speaking to folks from um my kind of sangat back in the back in birmingham um so that there wasn't really that connection and there was definitely a lack of sangat in that sense until i found it with with the people i was living with um a lack of kind of community connection a lack of re- reflection um and then in terms of my behavior at home honestly you know what fares to my fam because they did not make me feel as though i was acting out they didn't make me feel as though i was being irrational they didn't make me feel as though i was you know living life in a way they didn't want me to live it they so you so showed... you were openly talking to them about what was going on there bro but no it's just it was more just that they didn't like i wouldn't come home and speak about the difficulties i was experiencing because i also didn't want them to worry because i was living on my own you know an hour and a half away they would have understood they would have got it and they would have helped me but i don't want them to worry that was the biggest thing for me um but just in terms of coming home and suddenly i'm not wearing the star anymore and i've got my hair in a bun and and they're just like okay just roll with it um you know they didn't make me didn't they didn't shout they never raised their voice they didn't say to me yo why are you doing this you need to turn back to this you need to look at this you need to do that they just let it be and they showed me reality they showed me unconditional love they still showed me unconditional love and really just let me work through what i was obviously experiencing um and you know when they could we'd have chats about stuff but it wasn't like it wasn't like fully deep um kind of stuff around like what we were going through and that um but it was just them saying you know we are here <laughs> as well um so yeah i was very lucky for that when was the kind of turning point for you then where you kind of realized hang on i'm not necessarily just here by my by myself um there's other people who kind of have these kind of similar experiences and what did you think what did you do about it yeah so it was after that it was actually after that event um after that uh, intro event you know i left as soon as it finished there was obviously groups of people going out going on to different stuff and i was like land good man um and so i went back to the flat after that um and at this point i was in a house of eight so we're in a we're in like a kind of like apartment but it was like eight people um and i remember one of my mates was just sat he was either cooking or playing playstation or sat just orcsing or doing both um, <laughs> or both or both honestly <laughs> and i just sat you know sat down next to him and i just explained what happened and it's just me and him 
And he was he, he actually sat there and listened to me and made me feel heard as well. Um, and that was the first time you know someone had listened to me in that way um, uh, whilst the, all, all this stuff was happening. And after we were speaking, one of my other mates came down. He sat down, and we just we were just chat. We were, honestly we were chatting for like two three hours. One of them ones where you know you're talking to, you're talking and the time just goes, and. It emerged, it emerged that, you know, they were experiencing their own difficulties. Um, you know, one of them was on medication for his difficulties. Uh, but, you know, it was that honesty and it was that connection that, you know, we, we might be living different lives, but w- there are some things that we experienced that are similar. And they wanted to, we all, we all wanted to figure out how we could support each other and support ourselves. Um, and so it kind of created this different dynamic um, we were already quite honest with each other as as housemates and stuff, but it created this dynamic where we were there for uplifting each other. Obviously, you know, when I say this, we didn't just sit around a table and have like intense conversations about emotional well-being or mental health or whatever. But it was it just kind of became a part of our everyday. So when we're cooking, you know, we're sat there playing FIFA, you know, we're sat there just like listening to music or whatever. Um, it just became something that happened. Um, and suddenly we were able to, we were able to basically create that space where we could be ourselves. And I, di- I didn't think, oh man, if I come and talk about this, they're going to judge me. They're going to make me feel like I'm wrong, all this kind of stuff. We, we could bring anything onto the table. And for me, that was special. And that is what was the major turning point in my experiences um, at uni around this. I'll kind of jump in a little bit forward on this bit, but the next the next stage is obviously for the first time in your life, probably outside of Birmingham, um, you you you've managed to find that, that 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 kind of safe space. As university was coming towards the end, was there any apprehension of like losing that? I guess I guess what was what was lucky was, you know, in in, in third year, for example, um, after after we kind of started having these these discussions. You know, I started wearing I started wearing on the start again right and it was I was almost preparing myself for, for finishing uni and so I would I started writing a lot like you know journaling or whatever just because I wanted to remember what it was that was helping me at these times so that I could think about how we can how we can make sure that these things can help me in the future um, and so you know I, I kind of I was kind of preparing for it like a few months before uni ended um and for me it's those it's those learnings it's those things that made life better there that have been like basically key ingredients for how I try and structure my life afterwards okay and then you your your charity at the moment can you just tell me a little bit about what your charity is and then the actual journey from from university to setting that up Absolutely. So I finished my undergrad and I started my master's like a month, two months after. Um, and at this point, I, w- and I was in, that was in a different city as well. So I was at a different uni, um, but I was kind of more prepared for that transition, um, having learned from the previous one. So did you have to learn? Did you move because of your experiences or did you or was it just a simple kind of course? No, it was because it of the course, because of the uni. Fair, I kind of fair, wanted fair. to change things up a bit. Um 
And I remember, you know, I was thinking a bit more about mental health in Punjabi communities. I wrote, wrote a couple of like little articles and stuff for um, some magazines and, and, and websites. Um, and one of the things that I really quickly noticed was there was a lot of discussions around men's mental health in the news, in popular culture, in TV shows, that kind of thing. But I remember speaking to my relatives who are men, my, you know, mama, daya, that kind of thing, you know, talking about mental health. And, and, and I remember speaking to one uncle, Jia de Godra, and you know, uncle Ji turned around to me and said, ah, eh, gore de Jija. And I was like, okay, you know, you're saying it's a white person's thing. Uh, I can I can look at you and think, oh, yeah, you're uneducated or you're, you don't understand it. But the men's mental health narrative we had going at that time wasn't connecting with you. And that's a that's a that's a fault of you know how that narrative had been developed, and so right at the beginning when we wanted to think about how we could work with Punjabi communities, uh, Turkey started very basically as a men's mental health um, awareness campaign, uh, very 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 simply getting and sharing the experiences of Punjabi men around mental health with. A wider audience because they're not the experiences that were being shared and people weren't connecting with the experiences that were being shared and so i remember sat in a lecture designing the logo and it was like the main thing that was on my mind for like a week just to kind of get this thing up and running um and so you know we were sat there doing the logo and everything and and we kind of pulled, th- pulled things together made a few socials and just started very 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 basically sharing once a week um, you know, a kind of testimonial from a Punjabi guy around mental health. Obviously, you'd be kind of like, um, I'm just being hypothetical in there, you'd be kind of patient zero. Um, who, who was, how difficult it was it, how difficult was it to get other people to come in to engage? Because as you just said, you've just given an example of somebody who just turned around saying, oh, this doesn't exist in, in the Punjabi community. You know, it's just a, it's a it's a white person's thing as as you know caught in what he said how did how did you then kind of know how to tackle was there other other campaigns that you saw that were being successful was there any other taboo subjects in terms of that where you saw there's a there was an opening that you could latch onto so for me there are there at the beginning it was you know me putting my experience out there uh, one person would kind of send an email every every couple of weeks, probably. But then after a month, it got to like, you know, a couple of emails every couple of weeks. And then slowly, slowly, there was a bit of a snowball effect. Um, and so I still remember, I still remember my, you know, the people I'm so grateful for who came forward first. And these are the folks who have been there throughout the whole journey. And these are the folks who have been doing the kind of mental health advocacy for a long time. And they're still doing that now. And in terms of topics, um, one one friend, um, he spoke about suicide because he lost his father to suicide. And that was something that was really striking because it added such a different dynamic to that conversation. Um, it And, it, you know, he wasn't, you know, he's not around my age. Uh, so it added that generational dimension to it as well. Um, and so these are the things that really help the conversation to grow and help the conversation to be sustainable. And slowly, slowly, more and more men were coming forward to share their experiences. And other people were connecting with them um, in a way that they might not have connected with, you know, Jeremy Clarkson, Russell Brand, 
Stephen Fry, who were the folks who were on the front page for the men's mental health campaigns in the UK. So that lack of identify, identification of somebody that who looks like me um, wasn't. It's not necessarily in the mainstream for you to come kind of get support out there, is there? No, and this is the thing. Like you know, I, I remember sending messages to you know prominent like public figures within Punjabi communities or whatever. No replies. Yeah, very very oh, few replies. I I could tell you that from uh, from my experience from addictions. Hmm. You know, anecdotally, the, uh, the the Punjabi community is so giving and everything. Um, I remember once going to a place and saying, look, I can do some drug and alcohol education for young people, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't do it. It's not got no money, but you got money for Pataki. used to really just do my, just do my head in. And, I, and you always hear it now, especially with like people who are more established in their own charities and stuff. Just don't you're going to get nothing from your own community. And, and I still try and believe that that's not right, but the more and more experience that you, you go through, it actually proves itself in, in terms of like trying to get help and support. Or the ghosting is the, is the thing that pisses me off the most. Because, you know, like there's very influential people, even if they've bought their followers or their likes or whatever, it's just still the perception that they could give an organisation, an individual a little bit of time a day just to kind of give that elevation of that platform and you can never know what you're going to snowball into as well. Absolutely. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, I think it was, you know, it was sad. It was sad, but honestly, I didn't care, man. I just, I just thought, you know what? Forget these slot. Forget these slot. That's it. You, you know, you try and build something from the ground up and, Honestly, I didn't even know who half the people were, to be honest. Um, and so I, for me, it wasn't that deep. Like, I just kind of work on, the, work on the ground, build things up. And importantly, importantly, and this is really important to me, I wouldn't or try not as best as, my, as best as I can, I would try not to replicate their behavior when other people came to me. You know, for me, that was so important that, you know, we were able to do things differently and we were able to give people time, give people energy, give people support. Because ultimately, with Draki, with how we're approaching things, we're reshaping approaches. We're not doing things how they've been done, whether that's from a mental health perspective or whether that's from a community support perspective. Mm. And and as you're, as you're doing this, what were some of the key lessons as you were learning um, apart from what you just, you know, just from like the funding or the influencing support, what was going on? Because the reason why I, the reason why I asked that from from a point of addiction or if you've got clients, some of the some of the kind of uh, subject matter can be very heavy, mm-hmm. and you've also got to understand and, and recognize your own resilience to a lot of this, a lot of stuff that's going on. How did you then balance and be careful with your resilience in terms of your own mental health? Then taking on a, a big load in terms of like, you know, somebody just talked about their father's suicide and how they are. How are you then managing your own mental health during that? 
Absolutely. So first, in terms of my like key learnings, there's a couple that come to my mind. Um, the first is the first is acknowledging that Punjabi communities aren't one group. So recognizing that actually, you know, there are so many different groups within Punjabi communities, and we need to make sure that we don't refer to the Punjabi community. We refer to Punjabi communities and take an approach that va that values and recognizes different layers of identity that people live with. Um, so whether that is you know Punjabi LGBTQ plus folks, whether that's you know Punjabi elderly Punjabi folks who are first generation migrants, you know the kind of experiences and the approaches required for different groups within Punjabi communities are going to be subtle and are going to be nuanced. And so for me, that was that was one one key, really really key learning. Um, was that we, when I speak about Punjabi communities, I always say it in the plural because there are always going to be folks there who I might unintentionally miss out, um, and I don't want to reduce it to one uh, one homogenous group. Uh, the second oh. learning, it oh, gone. Sorry, no. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, remember that second. I just before I forget because my 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 kind of learning was the difficulty in terms of monitoring data at this point is really difficult in itself. Mm you know, when you're drilling down to it, but to have that intersectionality and to go further into it, it's get, you know, it's almost kind of a utopian kind of view of saying like to recognize somebody who's a, a Punjabi Sikh, but, and deaf and might, might, might have another disability or something, you know, ha to have that intersectionality that, and to then have services applicable for them is really difficult. Like, for you now, in terms of looking at looking at data and saying that in a really in an utopian view, do you think that's really realistic in terms of saying um, look getting all the kind of Punjabi um, definitions in? I would say it's always a work in progress. For me, you know, when it's going to be incredibly difficult to get to a point where you say, actually, yes, we serve all within Punjabi communities. But what I can do is be honest about who we are serving and who we might unintentionally be excluding. Right. Because if I say, oh, yeah, we're serving the Punjabi community, we're not. That's, that's, not, that's, not, a, that's not true. And if we say that, we can sometimes make ourselves believe that as well. And when people then challenge us, we get defensive because we say, oh, no, no, I'm serving, I'm, I'm serving the Punjabi community. I've, we do all this work. But when I'm saying we serve Punjabi communities and people say, but have you got stuff for these particular communities? Yeah. I can say, actually, you know what? You're right. We need to do more work there. And it's about honesty. I really, really think it's about honesty. And then it's about not uh, being able to take that kind of constructive discussion and think strategically about how you build in the context of intersectionality. How do you build in the context of diversity within you know, groups that some people will think, oh, this is one big group kind of thing. It's a different, in my opinion, it's a different approach to community building and this type of mental health work that we're just trying to balance and, and, and imagine. Going back to your second point, if you can remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second point. Um, so Turkey's tagline at the beginning was Turkey wants to reshape how the Punjabi community approaches mental health. Um, Obviously, the one, the first thing that changed was Punjabi community into Punjabi communities, as I mentioned, for the plural. Yep. The second thing that changed was we changed it to Turkey works with Punjabi communities to reshape approaches to mental health, rather than Turkey 
changing the approach themselves. And this is just because I thought it was so, it is so important to identify where that change is occurring. Often you have, you know, communities that um, need a bit of support on certain things and you have organizations that come and say that they're the ones bringing the change. But at the end of the day, we're not the ones bringing the change. The people bring the change. What we're bringing is just the space, some different tools that people could use to try and build that change and see that change. And so it's about, for me, it's about where that, where that focus is. Is the focus about Draki? No, it's not, you know, it's not about Draki. The focus is about the communities we're working with and what we're able to, how we're able to support them to make a change. Um, and so, you know, just thinking, and it's, you know, I could think about it in a conversation around ego or whatever. You know, it's not about Draki. It's not about us. It's about the people that we're working with. And it's about how we can best provide them with those tools for them to make the changes that they see necessary in their lives. Um, but yeah, that was the second one. I've got one more, if you have any questions. Oh, no, if you got some, yeah, carry on, carry on if you, if you need to, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. But my, my last one is just, you know, taking a strength-based approach wherever I can, um, which is, which means, you know, not me as, a, as as someone coming into Punjabi communities and saying, oh, you need this, you need that, we need to create these services, we need to create this here, that here, mm. you need to come to this healthcare centre or whatever. It's about acknowledging that communities, even though they may uh, experience particular hardships, they will still have strengths. They will still have things that help them to help each other. They have things that will bring them together. They have things <clears> that will support them in difficult times. And for me, what has been so important has been identifying what those strengths are, because otherwise we're just coming in like, you know, a big external consultant and taking, you know, this massive like deficit model and thinking, oh, yeah, these 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 resourceless communities need this because they're uneducated. Well, actually, there is so much in there um, that is important in that conversation and you don't just deny it. Did you get a lot of statutory services <clears throat> started to come and engage with you and say, and um, want, want you to get involved? Because this is a particular bugbear of mine. Is like if you've got if you've got a, a charity like yourself, obviously it started from a good ethos. It's mainly around personal experience. A lot of the third sector organisations and they have their own experiences and why they set it up. They set up a set up a company because the statutory models that are out there are, doesn't accommodate and fit for them. Then when they kind of create them, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, we'll commission this service to say, yeah, we've got them. But there's no quality control to see if they're any any good. But there's a tick box exercise because they say if they're kind of bored or they're kind of uh, commissioners look at them and say, yeah, oh, how are you engaging with the Punjabi community? Oh, yeah, we've got these guys here. Um, but they have no idea if they're working or anything. Did you start getting that tokenistic approach from other statutory services? So, you know, we've actually famously not done a lot of work with statutory services. Um, I, I don't think a lot of folks in the statutory service get us or get our approach. <laughs> right. and, and so we've actually not done a lot with them, but we have been in situations where we have been tokenized, obviously, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, and that's not just tokenized by, you know, institutions or other communities also been tokenized by our own communities <laughs> mm. um and so that that that's always a learning experience um and for me what it emphasized was where is our genuine support going to come from how do we build 
partnerships? How do we build collaborations? How do we build um, our, essentially our like sangat right in 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 what is the wild west of the mental health landscape? Um, so we got a, you know, not a lot of 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 um, engagement with statutory services, but we were tokenized a lot. Um, and you know one of the th- one of the things that comes to mind straight away about how we're quickly and easily tokenized is when uh, you know people researchers would get in contact and say, "Hey, can you share our research poster for this? We're looking for participants in this study. You know this, this, and that." Yeah, yeah. And you know, first few times I was like, "Oh, this is great. They're they're kind of connecting with us and all that kind of thing." Then I realized actually they're not connecting with us. They're just trying to use our audience. Um, and so, you know, slowly, slowly now what I'm doing, because we still get these emails and slowly what I'm doing is actually I'm saying to the researchers, I say <laughs> to them, you write me a 500 word blog about you, about the research you're doing. Tell us a bit more about how this data is going to be used. And then we can share your link at the end of that or we can share your poster at the end of that. But I'm not just going to do it without asking you know, any, any further questions, because that's not showing investment in, in, in us as a community. It's not showing respect for what we do. You just want to you know, reach out to our social media followers to try and extract data. And so you have to be a bit more... And get them of... engaging. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah I'll, I'll be careful what I say. I mean, like, <laughs> because, you know, mine came out with saying that you're one in four people experience, like, mental health problems each year, and then one in six might have it as a, 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 a mental health sort of common experience of, like, anxiety, depression a week. You know, these are massive statistics. This is a lot of funding that goes in there, but you just, I, I, I always find the difficulty of what, where the end product is in terms of like, where does that money go? Because you, you're not seeing your day-to-day improvement in terms of it. What you're seeing is a, a lot of the buzzwords, the tokenistic things is what, you, what you've said from it. But like your journey through it from when you started, it was probably... Um, a little bit you know you've probably got a more complete holistic view of it before it started becoming the the mainstream narrative in terms of like oh mental health, everything is mental health you're seeing people using it as excuses now you know to get themselves out of controversy or anything from there using the mental health tagline into to kind of justify behavior these how have you seen the 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 expansion of the the mental health um community from the commissioners and from from a um, kind of a patient's point of view? So I would say, I think the two perspectives that stand out to me, you know, you've got the commissioner's perspective and then you've got, I want to say the kind of the Punjabi mental health landscape. Um, So from a kind of commissioning perspective, I would say that folks are waking up to the different approaches that are needed, um, are waking up to the different kinds of, you know, quality assurance that's required. You know, one of the, you know, even when I'm involved in putting together, doing kind of call outs for different applications and stuff, one of the questions I always ask in an interview is, who aren't you going to reach in this who you want to reach? Yeah. Question. And how are you planning to, 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 to work with those communities? Is it that you, you haven't thought about that yet? Or is it that you've got a plan? You know, I, if, if, for example, someone says to me, oh, you know what, it's going to be really hard for me to reach um, uh, older Punjabi people who don't really speak English. That's fine. Have you thought about how you're going to approach that? And if they can't give me a convincing answer, that's when I think, okay, all right, you, you, haven't, you haven't thought about who you can't approach. But if they say to me, actually, yes, we've got a good relationship with 
these particular Punjabi TV channels who do um, older people's programming at this time and we're going to work with them to talk about what we're offering or whatever. You know, even if they've not done that before, they've at least got a convincing answer. For me, that's a really, really, a really good, good um, example of them being reflective. Uh, so I think kind of the commissioning stuff on that side is potentially slowly changing, whether that's from a statutory services standpoint, which I can't really speak to, or from more of a kind of charitable grant grant giving type perspective. Um, so I think there are approaches and questions that are being asked now that weren't being asked before um, as commonly. Um, and like I can just think about one of our projects that we've got where the commissioners are so, so they get behind, um, you know, intersectional approaches so well. Um, and they really, really value it. And they actually encourage, they encourage thinking about um, taking intersectional approaches, Im embedding it in the work, and also cross-collaborating across these, um, you know, specifically design services. And so I'm excited by that type of approach. Um, and I, I, that is more recent um, than, you know, uh, being at the beginning. So there are things that make me feel optimistic. So there's going to be... Uh, um people listening or watching this in terms of saying you know um we've given we've danced around a little bit in terms of knowing around the whole subject matter but what does Drucky offer then at this point at this point so we have our and obviously this is in the context of kind of covid and whatnot <clears throat> so we have four work streams. Our first work stream is around mental health awareness. And this was how we started off, as I mentioned. Mental health awareness can be going out and delivering talks. It can be doing social media campaigns. You know, you do other social media content, that kind of thing. Um, you work with TV shows, you go and talk on interviews, that type of stuff. For me, that's the first important step, but things don't end at awareness. Uh, as I say to a lot of people, I can be aware that, you know, planes fly in the sky, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Um, and so we look at awareness and then our next step is education. So thinking about how we can bring people together to develop their skills around mental health, um, develop their skills around listening, around suicide prevention. Um, and so how can we take that next step? Because a lot of folks will be fine with the awareness. You know, they'll reshare something, they'll, you know, they'll bump something up on their social media. but it will only be a small percentage of those who will be like, actually, yeah, I want to put an hour and a half, two hours into doing a basic training around this. Uh, but we offer those opportunities and it's one of our important work streams. So recently we had a suicide prevention training uh, with Papyrus. Uh, we're going to have another one coming up next month. And, you know, these are folks who want to take that extra step forward uh, when it comes to developing their skills. So we've got awareness, education. Third one in there is social support. So much like I was very, very lucky to access support through my housemates in that kind of space where I was welcomed, could be myself. It was open, it was honest, and it was, it was uplifting. Uh, we create those spaces, uh, those kind of peer support spaces in different contexts. So pre-pandemic, um, we had a men's group, women's group, LGBTQ plus group running in Birmingham, running in London once a month. Um, since the pandemic, all of those have moved online. Um, so they've, they've been running for the, uh, for the pandemic all in an online format. Um, in the next few months, we're looking at to kind of to get it back in person, um, depending on kind of safety and whatnot. Um, but they've been a really, really important part of our work because it's showing different possibilities around peer support. 
in Punjabi communities. And again, it's taken an approach that says, actually, yeah, we've got a group for men, we've got a group for Punjabi women, we've got a group for Punjabi LGBTQ plus folks. And then we also occasionally have opportunities, you know, joint forums, things where folks can come together across them. Um, so that's our social support work. We have facilitators who do that and, and lead that. Um, and they're absolutely fantastic. And I, they're really, really amazing to work with. Um, and that's been a really amazing way to bring people together in our community, um, especially the men's group where, you know, talking about certain topics um, is, is, it can be a very difficult with friends and family, uh, but we can make it a bit more, a bit more inviting and a bit easier um, with, with those who come to the, come to the session. Um, and then finally, the fourth work stream, which has been really important in a COVID context has been around research. Uh, because, you know, coming from a bit of a research background, I know the value of asking these questions and reflecting uh, through research to try and make sure that our work is more focused and more precise um, and, more, and more relatable to the communities that we're serving. So in August 2021, we released a, a small report on Punjabi communities, COVID-19 and mental health. Um, and I've not seen anything else that focuses on Punjabi communities, mental health and COVID that has been, has been published. Um, and so we did this as a team of kind of community scientists um, uh, and we put together this, 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 um, this research project. Part, part of it was survey-based, part of it was interviews. And then we pulled it all together to try and think about what were the key themes emerging from COVID-19 and Punjabi communities with relation to mental health. And then that research was basically the foundation of our COVID response strategy. And so we were able to actually say, all right, we need to be focusing on this. We need to focus on that. We need to focus on that. That allowed us to apply for grants and actually uplift different parts of our work to be able to do this. And then that would actually, that actually led to more research. And so us doing, pro we got a program evaluation of our mental health and faith um, in, uh, it, initiative uh, which is being released probably in the end of end of february um, but what it has done that has kind of given a logic to things and we don't just throw things at the wall and think you know what's going to stick but we try and think all right how does this fit in with what we've identified um, over this period of time um, and yeah you know that alongside the various bits of media work podcasts different kinds of things chatting with people about what we do uh, merchandise all that kind of stuff there's, there's a lot of that happens under the surface. Yeah. The way my mom describes it is like a duck. She says it's like a duck, because if you look at a duck, yeah. Serene, serene at the surface. Serene like at the surface. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I remember walking <clears> the hands off park. Look, I really like these ducks. And there's a specific type of duck that I really, really just connect with in hands off park. Um, I remember my mom just turns to me, she goes, no, you, you're kind of like a duck. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> And then I was like, why? And she's like, yeah, you just see it on the surface of the water and it's just like gliding. But you know, there's bear going on underneath. <laughs> <laughs> In the gun. I think it's, I think there's a couple of things what you just said is, is really important. Um, one of the things is, is massive is that there's a lack of health academics um, in terms of with communities and with Punjabi community, especially and, and using that grant funding and being strategic, the lack of coordination of, of charities and organisations coming together, sitting under strategic framework is just non-existent. Excellent activists, but no strategy in terms of how they're kind of moving forward. Did you ever feel to a point where you've kind of offered your services to provide that strategic framework? Because if, 
loads of these charities get loads of money within there, but where does it go? What does it do? I think if if you have if there's an overall body, you know, a collective consortium in terms of saying like, here's a strategic framework. I can look after this particular section, and this is how all the work that you're doing actually cross contaminates in terms of what we do. There's a lot of matrix working. Do you, have you ever had that approach, or been approached by to do to do some of that? So one of the things that I, I I keep keep saying needs to happen, and it's one of those things that I keep saying needs to happen, but it'll end up being me who kind of has to pull this together, is even just every four to six months, organisations in Punjabi mental health, you know, Sikh mental health, whatever, coming together and just at least being able to learn more about each other's work, and I think they're the kinds of foundations that need to be built. So you can develop that type of strategic framework where actually it's like, oh, yeah, we know that in support there's a um, helpline function. We know that Seek Your Mind are the folks who are taking this helpline forward. If we want to help and support on that, we can we can go to them and, and, and do that. But there needs to be the foundations built for that. We, we've done well so far, I would say, in the Punjabi <clears throat> mental health landscape uh, to kind of work with each other. Like we have done well. We have, you know, a number of, we have one, two, uh, three active collaborations at the moment with other um, organizations um, based around kind of delivering services, two of them commissioned. Um, and so we are already doing things slightly differently um, in a collaborative sense compared to different spaces in our communities. But it needs to, as you said, it needs to come under um, a kind of shared strategic framework. We need to really start building the foundations for that. We might not get a framework straight away, but we need to start building the foundations for that. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to fall. I need to try and find someone who can support that. It doesn't. It's not even going to be like loads of loads of initial work. But it's just getting something in people's diaries once every four months. We come together. Everyone can speak for five five quick minutes on what they're doing, what they're up to, and then we can kind of just you know learn about each other and connect with each other in that way and work towards a strategic framework. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know, I would love to, uh, you know, help champion and support that. And it is really important for those people who can help enable this um, in terms of people listening to do that, because the way how we kind of bumped into each other is working on a couple of projects as well and and be more trying to trying to actually do something rather than just keep talking about it is the, is the, is the real kind of trick, isn't it? So um, in, in terms of mental health in it, in itself to, to drip, drill down. We've seen a huge increase of um, um, suicides in, in, in the South Asian community and, and a couple that have come really prominent over social me media in the, in the last few months. What has your kind of response and advice been? So I would say um, I would say that you're right. There have been, you know, a few um, notable notable suicides in Punjabi South Asian communities over the last few months. Um, and as you can imagine, so many folks got in touch with Draki to say, "Hey, can you come and do a talk here? Can you come and do a talk there? Can you come and um, develop a, you know, deliver a workshop or whatnot?" Um, and it's really, really. Firstly, it's really amazing that so many folks connected um, with what had happened. Uh, I think that um, that is different now compared to what it was. 
um, there was a lot more empathy and a lot more uh, kind of emotional connection um, than there had been before. And that's great. That's really, it's really fantastic to see. Obviously, this has impacted people and moved people. And hopefully it's meant that they're thinking and acting differently. However, um, I think it's so important for uh, organizations who are in positions of responsibility to take a, a more sustained and a more strategic approach to these conversations rather than, hey, can we organize an event? Um, because as I've said, we can, we, can, we can feign action for progress. We can think, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing that, but actually we're not, you know, we're just running on the spot. Maybe do that bare and pee. Um, just running on the spot and nothing's happening. And so I get it from a kind of general public perspective that folks want to see, um, you know, events and workshops and training. That's great. That's why we put the training on, you know, had 25 people, uh, 30 people sign up, 25 people attend, best best attendance rate from sign up rate I've seen um, for this suicide prevention training. I've got another one coming up in March. But then what what I'm saying to organizations who are getting in touch, I'm saying, folks, look, a lot of the time you're the folks who got the money, you got the resources, you got the you got the connects, you got the networks. You need to take a longer term approach to this. Um, And so in reality, you know, what we're working working towards through Turkey, how can we actually build these types of almost like how can we help organizations develop a strategic framework around um, kind of mental health within their communities? How can we develop a toolbox that can be used um, in different ways? Um, And how can those conversations go beyond a 90 minute event on a Sunday afternoon? Because, you know, unless we, unless we start thinking in a more long-term way um, about this, we're going to carry on running on the spot. And other communities are going to sprint ahead. And people are going to go and get the support they need in different ways. But again, we'll be running on the spot and we'll realise that we're so far behind everyone else. Thank you, Sanjeet, for today. Um, you know, you shared your experiences. I really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, you've given people an idea in terms of what the lucky does and how to get support. I'll be putting the links on into the descriptions of, of people how to get support to you and um, be a part of that conversation. And uh, I will get you back on at some point in terms of um, um, on, on a couple of projects that we're going to be kind of unveiling in, in the near future. But um, thanks. I know it's been really tight. I know you've got a busy, busy day uh, ahead of you. So uh, a big thank you from me, mate. Not at all. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me. And yes. great question. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.